TNHoller.com is where you can find us at the TN Holler on Twitter and Facebook. You can also check out all of these other hollers all across the state. That's thanks to your support, your monthly contributions really keep us going, and we appreciate it. And as always, shout out to Elisa Parker, really supportive of us. And if you're buying or selling in Middle Tennessee, do it through her, and you'll be supporting us by doing that. I'm talking to somebody I'm a big fan of, I'm going to put him like a little bit below Katie Porter as far as the whiteboard videos go. But he's still up there in the whiteboard video atmosphere. So check him out at David Pepper. He was the chair of the Ohio Democratic Party. David, how are you? I'm great. Yeah, I'll take second place to her. Mine are a lot more down home, but I'm, I'm doing my best. The reason that I wanted to have you on here and basically you sing the same song that we sing, which is, first of all, that democracy is definitely in jeopardy and also that state houses are really at the core of a lot of what we're seeing. Tell me what you mean by that. And and I want to pull up your book, Laboratories of Autocracy. Why do you think people need to be focused on the state out? That's the heart of the problem. There's a broader group of people out there who who are undermining democracy. It's pretty clear. Uh, They've been doing it for a long time. But often the media focuses on the individual people, like Donald Trump's and some others. But the instrument of undermined democracy is not what they focus on. The instrument, the way you do it, the institutional way you do it is state house. Okay. Going back to the founding, this was clearly the design was that states are where you shape the sort of the democratic infrastructure of this country. You know, they set the rules of elections, how you vote, when you vote, which shapes who votes. They draw the district lines for themselves and for Congress. Originally, they are the ones who decide who the senators were, right? And now they still have a role in the electoral college process. So if you're worried about democracy, don't just focus on the people who are saying crazy things. We all are focused on Lauren Boebert and Mike Flynn and, and Donald Trump, but they don't have their hands on the instruments that shape democracy. Your state house does. My state house does. They may not be as famous as those people. But they're the ones who are passing the laws. They're not the minority. They're the majority, a rigged majority. They're the ones in the states passing the laws that do the deed while all these other people are talking. And so I love meeting groups like Tennessee Holler and all these affiliates. You're talking about the, the same thing that, that persuaded me to write a book, that too few people see this for what it is. They see the undemocratic chatter from Trump, but they don't see that the instrument of most of the work is actually in their own state house. They're plugging away every single day. Now there's a way to stop it, but the one reason I'm excited to be with you today is what you are doing is one of the first steps of stopping it, which is to get these places out of the shadows. These are the least known officials in politics. Most people don't know who their state rep is. They don't know how scandalous their state houses are. These elections float by as we watch Congress and president, the state house things just roll right by often unchallenged. And so what you're doing, bringing a lot of noise to these places and attention and profile is in many ways the most important first step. It's the same reason I, I read, I wrote the book. We got to get the word out to f- focus on these places. I really appreciate you saying that. It means a lot to hear it. One of the things that you mentioned in one of your rants recently that really struck a chord with me was that a big part of why these guys are the way they are is because they aren't really in a democratic process. Why do you say they don't face democratic processes? How did they get to that point? And it's a stark thing to say, but it's just true. You ran for office. I've run for office. We know what democracy feels like. It's not a cakewalk. you got to talk to all sorts of folks. 
And in a fair district, you got to talk to people who don't agree with you. Almost every member of the Ohio State House majority, and my guess is this is true in state houses across the country, the districts are so rigged, 62 of the districts have averaged a 10-point victory or more for a decade. 50 have averaged a 20-point victory or more. 34 have averaged 30-point victory or more. And 17 have averaged a 50-point victory or more. Wow. They basically have not really been in real elections, essentially being reappointed. And so the whole world that they have risen to power in has been devoid of democracy. And I go through this in the book. If you've never done something, but you're in power, the thing you didn't ever experience actually scares you. It's foreign to you. If you've never been in a real election, the idea of a real election as the way you keep your power would scare you. Even more than that is all the incentives that go with real democracy, you know, performing good public service that out where outcomes help people, not being corrupt, not being extreme. All the incentives that go along with a good functioning democracy are the opposite if you've lived your entire career in a world without democracy. Public outcomes no longer matter. You get reelected even if your school systems are falling apart or the health care is terrible or in Texas, the energy grid collapses. It doesn't matter. Being extreme is how you avoid a primary. So you be extreme. You never work with the other side. Corruption is rampant, but you still get reelected unless you're literally on tape with the FBI or something. Not only are you scared of democracy, but everything you've done in the world would actually cost you if you ever were in a real election. So what do they know? They know we can only keep this gravy train going if we use every power we have to subvert democracy, because that would end our careers. It's an entire generation of people who, like I've said, and my guess is if you dig down in the numbers in Tennessee, most of those state house officials, maybe they won a primary at some point, five or 6,000 votes. Maybe they got 10,000 votes, less than most city councils in large cities. My guess is though, most of them have never been in any election, but that first one. And so they're kind of living up there knowing that, you know, I testified a couple months ago at our redistricting committee, the hearing. And rather than being, and I'm a nice guy, most people would tell you that, but when I'm in front of people who I don't think are legitimately in office because they've rigged everything, I'm not going to shy away from that. So I said to them, hey guys, I know none of you have ever been in a real election. I get that. Let me tell you as someone who's been in them, don't be so scared of the voters. If you actually win a real election, you'll actually feel better about yourself and sneaking around every two years, running in races where you have no competition can never lose. So I think we should face up to the fact that these are people who've never been in democracy, basically. They're scared of it, and we shouldn't be afraid to call them out for it. And boy, does that make them upset when you actually call them out on the thing that they know is true. I'm going to play them for a second, right? Democrats do it in the other states, right? And that's why we needed a federal solution, because to ask Republicans to disarm in Tennessee and not gerrymander as much as they possibly can while Democrats do it, they would both sides this one. And and to which I would say, yeah, it's bad when both sides do it. Totally. You know, and that's why we need a federal solution. But what do you say when they say that? Well, the first thing I say is you just said it. It's bad. Part and parcel with gerrymandering and lack of accountability is broken public outcomes. And I don't want those outcomes anywhere. It's a bad system. It was healthy when I was a county commissioner, city council member, that I knew I had to get reelected and it would be close. It's a bad system for everybody, but I will not allow anyone to both sides it because Republicans are the ones who for the last 10 years have really done it, you know, to a degree we've never seen in the history of this country. You are going to have a race to the bottom. If Ohio and Texas and Tennessee do it, of course, New York's going to do it because they don't want to lose long-term. And that's why the ultimate test, who supports the reform? Right. There is current legislation in Congress that would 
apply standards that would actually solve it. Who supported those standards? Democrats. Who didn't? Republicans. So it would have stopped the New York gerrymander that the Wall Street Journal likes to focus on or the one in Illinois. I think that would be a good thing. I don't want to hear from one person who was against the, the change in the Senate and filibustered it about the New York gerrymander because you can stop it if you actually care about it. But I absolutely support legislation and it would work that would across this country say, here's what a fair district process looks like. And it's good for voters. It's good for democracy. It's good for outcomes. And here's what BS looks like that we should strike down. And I, I can point to Ohio. We changed our constitution twice in the last decade. We added clear standards into the Ohio constitution. And in the last couple of months, they have tried to ignore those standards. And our Supreme Court struck it down bipartisan. So it can be done, but it takes this federal legislation or you will have the inevitable race to the bottom, which we are seeing, which is right. bad for everybody. And this is very important for Tennessee and Ohio, by the way. One thing to say to Republicans in smaller towns frustrated with the state of things in their community is they are suffering, too, from gerrymandering. The lack of infrastructure, the lack of health care, the lack of things for young people to get excited about to stay. All of this is a result of the lack of democracy in these state houses. So it may feel good in the short term that their party might be in power in the state house. But at some point when they don't have choices in elections either. If all elections are predetermined, the outcomes for entire states are bad. And, you know, I have small towns that I know well in Ohio. They're totally Republican areas. I go to them all the time. I can see on the street and the buildings and on the on the decrepit everything, they are paying the price as much as Democratic cities. And that's why I think if we all focus on the public outcomes, my hope is like Ohio, you know, our constitutional changes were approved 75-25 by the voters. There's a way to message this stuff. So it's beyond party. In no other walk of life do we view lack of accountability as a good thing. No matter how bad you are, you get to keep doing what you're doing. No. So that shouldn't happen when it comes to politics. We shouldn't let the politicians do this. And there's a way that we can make this case. And it's not just Democrats saying this to help Democratic areas. A lot of people in red parts of our states are really suffering because of what these state houses are doing every single week. Yeah, and there's no real good faith argument against having some sort of independent fair, fair districting. The problem is it has to happen at the federal level. And what is your general feeling about the possibilities of getting anything done on this at the federal level? I would just say we have to keep fighting. I've sent my book to senators. Everything you have been talking about in Tennessee, and then I talk about my book, the founding fathers actually worried about this problem that state houses, if they fell into undemocratic hands, which gerrymandering and some other things have, have allowed to happen, that they could undermine the entire nation's democracy because they control the gerrymandering process, because they have a role in the electoral process. The founders worried about everything we're talking about. They wrote about, oh my God, if state houses were ever in the monarchy's hands, they could be a backdoor to undermining nation's democracy. Right before the sentence in the Constitution that says that the United States shall protect states from foreign invasion. They also wrote a sentence that said, the United States shall guarantee to all states a Republican form of government. And when they wrote that Republican form of government, that was their favorite phrase. They meant rule by the people. They meant democratic government, small d, that the state houses would reflect the will of the people. They wrote that because they worried that undemocratic, non-Republican forms of government in states could sink the entire nation. They worried about corrupt government sinking the nation. Every senator, including Joe Manchin, who takes an oath to this Constitution, took an oath to 
guarantee Republican forms of government in every state. And so when I hear the discussion that the filibuster is somehow an obstacle, go ahead and argue it's an obstacle to other types of legislation. But the filibuster cannot be an excuse to violating your oath to guarantee democratic governance in every state in this country. We have to keep mounting that fight. And, and the one thing I would say, and I, my guess is you, you'll agree on this, the style of our debate has to reflect the seriousness of what's happening. And I worry that when we're too polite, and again, I'm a nice person, I'm a polite person, but I'm not going to sit there in Columbus and act like they're they're all legitimately you know, in power. They, they are in a rigged system, and we should be clear about that. And I think that's why you should have things like the talking filibuster. If Chuck Grassley is going to defend attacks on democracy every day, make him stand there three straight nights or whoever, Josh Hawley, make them actually work a little bit. And when we don't do that, we send a signal to the country, it must not be that bad. You need to start exhibiting the behavior of people who think it's a crisis. Because if you're too polite and you're too civil, it's giving a signal it must not be that bad. And I think yeah, I, I completely agree with you. And I think that's true in a lot of these fights that we see, not just right. at the state level. I mean, I even personally felt like Biden could have done more to make Manchin and Cinema more uncomfortable. It needs to happen now. We, yeah. we can't say, oh, we had one vote and we move on. Like, no. One of our questioners is asking, is there anything explicitly unconstitutional about Congress passing a law that requires bipartisan redistricting at the state levels? The answer is no. And the and the reason is part of the Constitution that Marshall Blackburn loves to talk about, which is that founders left elections up to the states, to state right. legislatures. What she doesn't talk about is the rest of that sentence, which allows Congress to override them if anything goes right. wrong. So actually, Congress, the federal government has the final say with how elections are handled. That's why something like this would actually be constitutional. And so was the voting rights bill. Absolutely. The whole talk of federal takeover is a complete sort of mashing of the constitution. There are so many parts of the constitution that say the federal government has a role in elections. You just mentioned yeah. one guarantee clauses, another, the 14th, 15th amendments. The whole point was protect certain voters, you know, based on race or gender and others in states and each of those amendments said the Congress shall have the power to enforce these protections. So why are they saying federal takeover? They say it because that's what segregation is said in the 60s when they didn't want to actually spew openly racist things. It, it literally is the language of the segregationist playbook to talk about the fed, federal takeover. If you read recent Supreme Court decisions, the United States Supreme Court, written by Kavanaugh and Roberts and others, they say... We right now, there are no standards in the law that allow us to decide what is an unconstitutional districting. But they say if Congress were to write such a law, then we would have standards. So even conservative Supreme Court justices have said it is perfectly okay for Congress to pass a law outlining how these districts should be shaped. They could do it. They just aren't doing it. Calling themselves constitutionalists, but not paying attention to the parts of the Constitution they don't like. Such great patriots on the other side, but all they do is rail against the federal government, preach secessionist talking points. By the way, meanwhile, we get 36% of our state budget from the federal government. Talk about that hypocrisy of Republicans railing against the federal government while also claiming to be patriots. You know, they want to run for these offices, but then ridicule the own government they now represent us before. It's stunning to me how often they violate the most basic phrases in our constitution. Rather than spewing rhetoric from secessionists, from segregationists about federal takeover, that they actually took an oath for the federal government to protect democracy in states. That's something they swore to do on the Bible. 
Right. So they need to do it. I do beg it. folks to buy the book. I've heard from a lot of Tennesseans who've read the book. My God, you've described exactly what we're going through. You're going through it. And I think if you read the book, it'll sort of almost be cathartic that it captures it. But secondly, it says what we can all can do. When we are trying to convince people to change this, including in elections, what I would, my best advice is most of what you and I are discussing is not what I would put in a 30 second ad. It's too political. You need to talk about this in a way that has some broader appeal. And that goes back to what I said before about red parts of your state. The consequences of broken, undemocratic state houses are horrible public outcomes on things that people really care about. Their local school system is not doing as well. They're having to pay more for their kid to play sports because the state is defunding schools. In Texas, the energy grid collapsed so that people froze to death. Well, how does that happen? Does that happen because they put themselves first? It's It happens because, and this will sound dramatic, but it's true. The entire ammo of state houses, where no one knows who they are, but major private players are posted up in the state capitol getting everything they want, is a massive transfer of public assets to private players that do know what state houses do and love this system. In Ohio, the best example, public school money, a school system in Ohio ranked fifth in the nation 15 years ago, bleeding into for-profit online charter school scams that are disastrous for education. And one was caught making up numbers about attendance to make more money. What's happened? Our public school systems are now ranked in the mid-20s when they were fifth. The energy grid in Texas, privatized. These big private players, individually and through groups like ALEC, national group that's organizing all of them, at the trough pulling out public resources from states. And that's why tied to the hip to these undemocratic state houses is trickle-down economics, a lot of this privatization, pay-for-play, and in some cases, corruption. And I guarantee you in every state where it's really taken hold, terrible public outcomes. If you're running for governor of, of a state like this, focus on those public outcomes that most people will agree are bad. We have a governor of Kansas, Laura Kelly, Democrat. How did she win? They were down to four days a week for school. They'd so defunded everything four days a week. If you Google her ads, she doesn't talk about Chris Kobach, who she could have and all they did on voting. We sh that would have been a great campaign. It would have been true. She says, I'm from Kansas. When I grew up here, our number one value was education. What in the world is happening that we were down to four days a week in school? In Texas, it's the energy grid. That's what Beto's talking about. In Michigan, it was fix the damn roads. Every one of these state houses immediately as a response to the crumbling of democracy will be public outcomes that are indefensible, that can't be explained away, that are an automatic outcome. And that's how I think we say to places all over the states, way beyond just core Democrats, this is why we need to change. This form of broken government is failing all of us and you in particular. Privatization, you're talking about charter schools at the trough. That's making me want to just play this clip for you because this is what we're dealing with right now. Here in Tennessee, the head of Hillsdale College in Michigan, a private Christian school that Governor Lee just announced a partnership with. And this guy is on tape last year at the end of last year saying that Governor Lee asked him to bring 100 charter schools to Tennessee. Governor of Tennessee has talked me into a commit commitment to start 50 charter schools in Tennessee by his sell by -hood. So that right there is what you're talking about. That yeah. is a, a privatization of public resources. Meanwhile, Governor Lee has control of a statewide charter school approval board to overrule when local communities don't want these schools. Right. And here comes this siphoning off of public resources that you're talking about. Right. Now, by the way, there are some charter schools that do okay. 
Yeah. In Ohio, we have found that that most of them have been a total disaster. The for-profit ones, especially the online ones, especially. You know, Republicans in Ohio were literally all they cared about was online virtual school until the pandemic, and all of a sudden they flipped. But they were for it for a decade because that was their biggest donor. Folks like us need to pinpoint in our state what are the most broadly impactful public outcomes that have collapsed because of these broken places. And that's what we need to campaign on. A huge issue is the state of our small towns dying right in front of us. You know, unpaved streets, main streets that are empty. Why? Lack of infrastructure and trickle-down economics never helps these people. It helps the people in a few of the big cities, the state capitals. Every one of us needs to figure out what are the inevitable public outcome consequences of broken government in our state and run and talk about those as much as you can because they are direct consequences of these state houses being locked up in these undemocratic ways. You know, the problem is even as those things are happening, they are standing up at things like the state of the state saying how great everything is going You know, we're at the bottom in poverty, at the bottom in infant maternal mortality, number one in medical bankruptcies right here in Tennessee. And Governor Lee stands up there and talks about how great we're doing. Things like the holler or, you know, people like you speaking these truths is really important so that people understand what's actually going on. And so that's why I appreciate what you're doing. Just as a final thought here, then I'll let you go. What should people be doing other than buying your book, which we want people to do? You know, what can people be focused on? to uh, to get things turned around here. The best way to combat what you just said is to have a candidate in every district. Who's from the district, obviously, because they're the ones who will know and capture. Governor Lee may say everything's great, but we know this town is not doing as well as it needs to. Let's get to work. So when we do not run in every district, it's the greatest gift ever to what you just described. They get to have a monopoly on the conversation, tell everyone's everything's perfect. And if we don't run a candidate, no one local with credibility is saying what I think a lot of people would actually agree with if someone put it together. That gets me to my broader point is all of us have to be broader champions of democracy. Whether you're a candidate for office like you've been, and thank you for doing that, that's a incredibly you know, as patriotic as it gets, especially in tough races. Whether you're a small business person, whether you're you know a local official, whether you're just an everyday activist, all of that. Every one of us has a footprint in democracy. We have a footprint of influence. How can we use our footprint to lift democracy in any way possible? And I, I worry that we wait for heroes. You know, Stacey Abrams will do it or, you know, Michelle Obama is going to register voters and we just wait. We'll never hit the scale we need if that's how we attack it. If anyone listening to this call, if anyone in any holler anywhere in this state is on the, on the board of a homeless shelter or a food bank, or a nonprofit serving kids. As a member of that board, have you said to that group, are we registering voters? We know they're being purged. Are we registering them? If you have a friend who's the mayor of a small town, are they using the footprint of their city hall, you know, the rec center, the health clinic, the library, whatever they do, are they using it to engage democracy? Are they registering voters who come to the rec center? A small business, Sherry Brown once in Ohio was Secretary of State. He had McDonald's have a voter registration document as part of the menu on the tray. If there's a business doing that, do you go to that restaurant and eat because of it? Do you tell other people to? That's what I'm talking about. Think creatively of everything you do, how you can bring lifting democracy into the bloodstream of your day-to-day activity. If you can run for office or support someone running for office, do it right away, especially in districts that aren't being challenged. But beyond the actual elections, there are many other things everyone can do to lift democracy. I would challenge folks to think through what how they can do that as well. When they are attacking democracy every single day, which they are, that's the way you scale up to fight back. So that would be my challenge to everyone listening. Are you doing all that? Because you can, and in many cases, 
it's a slight adjustment to what you do when you can do it. David, thanks so much for coming on here. Thanks for what you do. Get out there, get his book, Laboratories of Autocracy and uh, Lift Up Democracy. As he's saying, David, thanks, man. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Stay in touch. I appreciate all the lifting you've been doing. I mean, it's been a huge help. Tennessee. 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 Tennessee.